Welcome back to the podcast, Growth and Jams fans. My name is Saul, and I'm your host here again today. I am sitting down with Mia Carranza, a longtime friend, a current 2L at St. Mary's University School of Law. I think we had a great conversation today, and I'm so thankful for the friendship that I have with Mia, the insight that she provides, and her mindset and outlook on life. Enjoy the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how we met and, you know, the journey that you've been on since college. Okay. Hi. So like Saul said, my name is Mia Carranza. We met at UT when I was a junior and I think Saul was a sophomore. He attended Longhorn Awakening, which is a retreat that the Catholic Center puts on. I was his table leader, kind of discussion facilitator, his weekend mother. And, you know, it was a really good time. And thankfully, we were able to continue like our friendship outside of the retreat, outside of that like three day weekend. Um, I'm really grateful for this friendship and super happy that I get to be here today. So I majored in English and Spanish, and then I have a minor in sociology and a certificate in public policy. So pretty much I like only dabbled in liberal arts, like I can't do math. I don't know any science, but it was all good times there. So, yeah. So to add a little bit more insight into Longhorn Awakening for the people that don't really know about it, this may sound dramatic, but it really changed my life. Like it changed the absolute trajectory of my life. And I'm so thankful that you were a part of that because you and as well as Nori, the other table leader, were really, really helpful and huge in kind of changing where I was going in life. I think I really went to Longhorn Awakening kind of as like a last resort of like, okay, maybe I'm going to go back to my faith. And if I have a bad time, like maybe it's not for me. And I ended up having like probably one of the best weekends, most memorable weekends I've had in college. And yeah, I can only tell you thank you so many times, but I really am thankful and grateful for that that time with y'all and super thankful that we're still friends. Like I think it's been like two and a half years now, which is awesome. And it's been so great to watch you grow into the person that you become, accomplish all your dreams and, you know, make your way into the world. Um, You're currently at St. Mary's Law School as a 2L. Why don't you talk a little bit about, I guess, the struggles of transitioning from undergrad to law school and some of the things that you've experienced there? Yeah, so I graduated from UT May 2019, and then I kind of like took the summer off, didn't really do anything, and then I started at St. Mary's Law as a 1L fall 2019, and it was just insane. I like I always tell people that if I had worked as hard as I do now, like in undergrad, I probably could have been like an engineer or like already been done with med school or something. I I think that like by the time you're an uh, you're an upperclassman in college, like you've kind of got it down and so like mm-hmm. at least for me cuz I think my major can be easier compared to other majors in some respects. Like I wasn't putting in like all this it didn't I didn't need to put in so many hours of work to get my stuff done. And then yeah. when you show up to law school, like I remember at orientation, they were like, it's going to be like 50 to 60 hours of work a week. And like, if you're not doing work, like something's probably gone wrong. And I was like, oh, whatever. And then like we got our first couple of reading assignments and I was like, oh, my gosh. So they were not lying. <laughs> like, I just felt like I was always doing like there's always work to be done. Like there's always reading to be done. There's always outlines to work on. 
something to be studying. I think another thing that was really kind of jarring was that for law school, pretty much your final is is your grade. Like it's just like the one final is 100% of the grade. And I don't know if that's like foreign to some people, but to me it was like that wasn't anything that I dealt with in undergrad because everything was like you have five papers to write over the course of the semester. And so I was like, okay, if one paper goes bad, then like I'll do better on the second paper. But yeah. when your whole grade is your test at the end of the semester and everything's obviously cumulative, you're like, I don't know. I think I'm going to die. <laughs> so that and was really compared difficult. to. Sorry, it's compared also to like how your peers perform as well, right? So you're yeah. basically just competing against your peers. There's no set like rubric or criteria. It's right. just who does right. the best out of y'all type of thing. Yeah, so St. Mary's has a curve. I think most law schools do. I'm not entirely sure. But for us, there was a curve. And so I think it's like at least 10% of the students have to get an A. But like at most, the professors could grade like 25%, like, an, like a B plus, an A or an A plus. Mm-hmm. Or like A minus or an A or something like that. And then like at least 10% have to get like a C or lower. So you're that really trying. Yeah. So you're like really trying to compete against your peers to not be the bottom 10% or like the bottom up to the bottom 25%, depending on the professor's mm-hmm. discretion. And yeah. so like the level of competitiveness was definitely like a culture shock mm-hmm. because at UT, I think since it's such a big school, like you could have these people in your classes that like are a different major or even if they were the same major, like we have different career plans. Like I could be sitting next to somebody who wanted to go and be a teacher. So it's like if you do well in this class and I do well, like it's not going to affect our trajectory further on the line. But whereas in law school, like if I do well and you don't do well, like then you have it out for me because now you might be in the bottom. You know, and I want to beat you, but you want to beat me. And so I think the level of competitiveness was really hard to adjust to. I was like, people were a little bit mean. It was it was kind of like in Legally Blonde where they're like, they're going to rip the pages out of the books. And I was like, no, they're not. But then, I mean, and it's not everyone. I think that's the exception. I think the rule is that people mm-hmm. are generally pretty nice at St. Mary's. But there are definitely like sometimes where you run into those exceptions and you're like, this is terrifying. Like, I cannot believe you're able to operate like this. Like, it was it was crazy. That sounds terrible. I'm definitely a competitive person, but I don't like when people are like forward about their competitiveness and aggressive about it. So I feel like that's one thing that's going to be scary for me when I do go to law school is dealing with those people and mitigating those situations. Well, when I was at orientation, and I still remember this, and it's been like over a year since my orientation, they had like a panel of two and three L's come in to talk to us. And somebody Mm -hmm. had asked like, well, how do you handle the competitiveness like of your peers, like wanting to do better? And this guy was like, none of this matters in the end if you're not a good person when it's all done. You're never going to regret being kind. Like even if somebody does screw you over, like you're like, oh, well, I'll share this with you. And then they like use it to their advantage and you do worse. Like you're never going to come out being like, I wish I hadn't been kind to you, you know, because yeah. I think your reputation will precede you, especially in a, like a community like the legal community. If you want to stay in Texas, I mean, everyone kind of knows everybody. And so if you had a reputation for being like a total jerk then that will follow you past law school. Whereas it's like, she was always nice to me or he was always nice to me. And he always went out of his way to share outlines or to see how I was doing. You know, even if I did get a better grade than him in one of these classes, like I, I recognize his character is good. And so, yeah, if someone's like, haha, like I beat you out because you were nice to me. Like, I don't think that I was the real loser here. You know, Mm -hmm. so I try and like, kind of go off of that. Like, you'll never regret being nice and like, 
none of this will matter at the end. Like if you come out of this and you're just a total jerk, like no one's going to want to, no one's going to want to be your friend anyway, or your colleague. Yeah. I think I know from what you've told me is that you did pretty well your first year at St. Mary's. Why don't you discuss, I guess, a little bit about what helped you to succeed in that? Because it's a huge transition, but what helped you to get the grades that you needed to or to be as successful as you did? Well, first, I got to give a shout out to my two best law friends, Alex and Caitlin, who definitely like kept me sane. You know, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but on my way to to campus, and I don't have a very long commute, so I would, mm-hmm. but on my way to campus, I would always say a little prayer and it would just be like, you know, please help me to be grateful, to be kind, to be patient, to be resilient, and to be, you know, dedicated. One of my favorite quotes is like, the distance between dreams and reality is called discipline, you know, because it's not always like, you're not always motivated to to read 40 pages about like so the rules of civil procedure or like 40 pages about contracts or to write a memo about some hypothetical. But your discipline is what's going to carry the day. This idea of like this, this has to get done because this is what I want. You know, this is the life that I prayed for. I never skimped on readings. Like some people would be like, oh, just read like Quimby, like case briefs. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to read all 40 pages of it. Like I never not did a reading, even though like I would have to wake up early or stay up late or like be like, okay, I got to eat dinner and then I got to go back to this room or whatever. I never mm-hmm. skimped on readings. Flashcards. I used a lot of flashcards. One of my mom's friends gave me like flashcard holders. Like there was like a little container bucket that like holds all my flashcards, kept them organized. And just kind of like reaching out to see like sometimes teaching others or having them teach you was really helpful. I spent a lot of hours in the library with like Caitlin and Alex doing practice problems or like writing out essay prompts on the board and like how we would analyze it. Because I think that's what's so different between like law school and undergrad is like undergrad is a lot of memorization. So you can like spit the facts back out. But law school is you have to memorize like holdings from different cases. But on the exam, you're not going to get those cases. You're going to get cases with similar fact patterns, but not all the way the same. And so you have to analyze it and be like, does this case apply? Or does this case law apply? Or does it kind of both kind of apply? How should I look into that? And then you have to memorize and analyze. And so really just like a lot of practice and a lot of discipline was kind of what carried the day. That's awesome. I think that's that's a great way to look at it. And I liked what you said about this is the life I prayed for and discipline specifically and an overarching goal. Is there something that keeps you moving forward every day, overarching goal-wise, career-wise? Like what gets you up in the morning to say, I still want to do this? When I was applying to law school and I was applying for like scholarships and like just to get in, I, I wrote a lot about wanting like a place at the table. I wrote a lot about how like there's always room at the table for more people, you know, growing up. Like I wouldn't say we were like we had the most money. I would never say we were like poor or anything like that. But like there was never anyone my parents would turn away. Like there was always a way to make it work, you know, like. Mm-hmm we could whip up some more rice or some more beans so that someone could come eat with us. Like we could figure out a way to like share a room so that someone could come stay with us, like like the pullout couch. And so there was always room for more people at this table. And I think growing up, like I had so many people that helped us and that we helped. And I kind of feel a responsibility to kind of succeed and go past these certain heights that have been like 
that haven't been hit before and so that I can give back and hopefully make room for other people. Because there's not really a lot of female Hispanic lawyers. There's not really a lot of Hispanic lawyers in general. And so I definitely want to work to kind of open up some of these statistics and these demographics and hopefully, you know, in turn, eventually be successful enough to be like, well, let me help you. Like, come with me. Like, I want you to sit next to me at this metaphorical table that I keep talking about. Like, I want to make space mm-hmm. so that more people can be here so that, you know, we have to lift each other up. It's about like yeah. kind of who you can bring with you on your way up, not just like who you can step on to get there. Like, am I making, that's, yeah, like, am I working yeah. on it and like making space for others to come with me? I think it's kind of, awesome. yeah. That is incredible. And I think that's a lot more modest of a take on what's, you know, what gets you going through the day to go to law school. For a lot of people, I think it's money-driven, power-driven, success-driven, and that's great that that's not it for you. I think that you have a very big heart, and you want to bring people up with you, and that's that's incredible. That's amazing. So I'm really excited for you, really happy for you. And I guess last law-related question so we don't beat the dead horse, what is it that you think your future career is going to look like? I think you went in with the idea of wanting to do immigration, and now you're doing criminal So my mom's a prosecutor. She works for the 81st district. She's the first assistant DA. So I've kind of always grown up with a prosecutorial mindset. But Mm -hmm. since May, I've been interning with a criminal defense firm. And I think I really like having experience with both sides because it really just reminds me that not everything is black and white. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's not just like, oh, you did this. So now you're guilty. Like there's a lot of looking into like mitigating factors and like what else is going on in their life. And like, what would this charge do to this person's life? Like I had a case where I was looking at video discovery. And so he'd been pulled over for, I have to say, allegedly driving while intoxicated. But he, I mean, like the cop had followed him for like 12 minutes and like nothing really had happened. And it's just one of those things where in the cop car, he's talking about he's got these four daughters and one of them has cancer. And he's got like, you know, he's got this really great job. And if he gets like this charge, he's going to lose it. And so you're like, well, I don't know. Because like when when he did the breathalyzer, like he didn't really mark very high. And so I think it's a lot of learning that the answers are just not out there in black and white. There's a lot of middle area. Same as when I interned with the municipal court, I worked in the juvenile court. And so when I started, I was like, it was truancy. So it's like, you're in trouble for not going to school. And so you're like, Mm -hmm. well, that's it. Like, that's the answer. You're a punk, like go to school, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I started doing case visits with some of the workers and it was like, you know, my mom is sick or my dad's sick or like, I have to work to help provide or like there's gang violence. I can't walk to school. Like I'm in, I'll, Mm -hmm. I'm in danger or even something that I would never consider. Like I don't have clean clothes and people are making fun of me. Um, So I think that's one of the things I really like about the law is like, you have to always be thinking about multiple sides. It's never just black and white. I'm on the law review. I'm on the St. Mary's Scholar and I'm writing about the Flores settlement, which is basically like holding centers and detention centers, you know, for migrant children and for people crossing the border have to meet like certain standards of care. And this was decided like back in the 80s. And I mean, and they're just not being met, you know, like mm-hmm. these these levels of care for these kids are just not being met at all. Like if you look at the standards and look at like just even just watching the news, like you can tell. So I've been writing yeah. about that and like possible solutions to that. So I don't know what it is exactly I want to do. I really enjoy what I'm doing now with the criminal law side. Um, but I definitely think I want to do something that it like involves all of law involves people. So that's not what I'm trying to say, but like more people oriented. So like either mm-hmm. 
criminal law or I would like to be like an attorney ad litem, which is like typically where they represent you to represent like a minor and you have to advocate for their legal best interests or usually it's a minor, but sometimes it could be like an elderly person or somebody with mental handicaps, something like that, where you're in charge of advocating for their best interests. So definitely want something along those lines, like that's more people oriented is what I'm looking forward to. Do you ever feel, I guess, in the slightest way overwhelmed with the problems that are apparent within these systems that you've been studying? Because I feel like it's you find a solution to one problem or you discover a problem and then it's like one right after that again. Do you ever have that feeling? Yeah. And so I actually was just talking about this with my coworker the other day because he was like, you know, like, do you think we can make these big changes? And I was like, yeah, I do. And I was like, but in order to avoid getting like totally burnt out or becoming totally discouraged, like you have to focus on like the little victories along the way. Like whose life have you turned into a success story by your work? So it's not always going to be like, here's my successes. I totally revamped the criminal defense system. And now like the incarceration rates have gone down, you know, like I just don't Mm -hmm. know if I have the power to do that. But, you know, with my advocating or with like my review of the law and like the memos that I write, like maybe I can get a charge drop for someone and then he Mm -hmm. doesn't lose his job, you know, and then he can still provide for his family or something like that. Or maybe with like my advocating, I'm able to help one person stay in the country and, you know, reunite with a family member. And so I think it requires a lot of like, you know, you have your big picture goals, but you have to remind yourself of all like the small picture victories so that you want to keep going, I think is what helps me a lot. Yeah, something that Carissa reminds me of frequently is to not look at the whole forest, but to look at the tree in front of you. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's applicable to pretty much everyone in their lives that you have to focus on winning the small victory that is in front of you. Yeah. Checking the box off or accomplishing that small task before you can take on the rest. That's great. Thank you for talking about that. I mean, it's super interesting. And I think a lot of people are wanting to know more about these things for sure. And I think the law is something that's kind of separated from everyone that doesn't come into contact or experience the law in some sort of way. Mm -hmm. So it's great to put it into a humanizing perspective. Yeah. I guess to kind of segue into our next talk, it's really prevalent still, but I feel like this country is kind of, you know, over COVID and they're getting sick of COVID. You had someone in your family, your mother, who actually caught the virus. Would you like to talk a little bit about that experience for you and your family and the challenges that that faced and how that changed your overall outlook on a lot of what's going on in this country right now? Yeah. So on July 2nd, my mom came home and she's like, I don't really feel super great. And that was right around the time. I don't know if you guys remember, but all the meteorologists were like, oh, the African dust, the Saharan dust is blowing in, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, oh, you probably are being affected by allergies. So she took some Benadryl and like went to bed. So like that was a Thursday. And then that Friday was a holiday because July 4th was the Saturday. So it was like a long weekend. So she was still really sick. And then on Saturday, the fourth, like she was just really, really lethargic. So I made her an appointment for the Texas Med Clinic and she got tested on the 5th, July 5th. And on July 5th, she tested positive for COVID. First and foremost, it was like very terrifying. It was very scary. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's even semi-conscious, who like maybe even glances at the news could say like, yeah, COVID has been taking lives in mass. Like people are just dying mm-hmm. and like families are being ripped apart because of this. So it was really terrifying to have an immediate family member test positive. And so she was in a lot of pain. She had a fever for probably like two weeks straight. Like it just kept coming back. And so to 
come out of isolation, you had to have 10 days post symptoms, you had to um, I forget there was one other thing. But like the big one was you have to go three days with no fever without the use of a medicine like a fever reducer, mm-hmm. like so no Tylenol. And so we would start the clock and it'd be like, she's good all day. And then like at three in the morning, she'd be texting like my dad and I like, please bring me some water, like, please bring me some water. And she would just be burning up. And I just went on like this for like two weeks straight. Like every night we were waking up with this fever and she was just so weak. And so last year in 2019, my mom ran 15 half marathons in a year. And so she joined the Rock and Roll Marathon Hall of Fame for doing so. And then when she got COVID, the doctor was like, you need to walk around the house six for six minutes. You need to do that twice a day, you know, and you need to check your blood oxygen levels or whatever. And if it gets too low, like we're going to have to like admit you to the hospital. And so she would do these walks just around the house six minutes at a time and it would just be wiped out. Like I need to get back into bed. I am so tired. And so it was really crazy to kind of see like the havoc it wreaked on her body. And it was really stressful, obviously, for my dad and I, because we live with her. Mm -hmm. So the house definitely became like a, there was like a sick zone. And then it was like a healthy zone. Like, please don't come out of your room. Like, we will bring the food to you. We had tons of gloves, masks. We were constantly Lysoling everything. We kept the dogs and the cats like out of her room. You know, she didn't really want to eat. So it was really very scary. And she was sick for a long time. Like, I don't think she tested negative until July 30th. So like the whole month just wow. kind of like flew away from us. Thankfully, she's uh, so much better. You know, she's tested negative and she feels great. And she's gone back to kind of like working out every day. But yeah, it was a really, really scary time for the whole family. I'm sorry that your family had to go through that. It's definitely hard. i as well, not a direct family member, but my grandparents in the valley, as well as my aunt, uncle, and cousin in the valley, all got it in yeah. July as well. And it was like no one had it in the valley. And then in a matter of a week, like mm-hmm. I would say, like ninety percent of my family that is in the valley all had it, and they were all pretty, pretty deathly ill. Yeah, they thankfully recovered as well. But it's just crazy because I don't think people understand the gravity of what's going on until they're personally affected by it. Yeah. Has it been in any way frustrating to you everything that you see, I guess, on social media or in the news, like people kind of being over the virus as it is and being frustrated with it and just wanting to get on with their lives and being kind of reckless in a sense? Yeah, I think it's really I don't think people understand like how differently it can affect people. I think this virus is so novel, you know, like with the flu, everyone's pretty much gonna have fever and aches and maybe nausea or whatever. Right. But with COVID, so like for my mom, it was like fevers and fatigue and like loss of like taste and smell, obviously, and like all this pain. And then at the same time, like one of her workout buddies tested positive, like had the test results. Like I am positive for COVID and she just had like headaches. And was fine. Like that was it, you know, and like two of my mom's coworkers also tested positive. And so like one was like, yeah, I was really nauseous while the other one was like, I got like a crazy blood clot in her leg, like almost got her leg amputated, you know, and I just don't think that there's enough known about this virus. So yeah, I think like at this point, like everyone's either had it or knows somebody who had it, but every experience is so different that you're like, oh, well, if it's just a headache, like what's the big deal? But I mean... If you catch it, I don't know if you're just going to get a headache. I don't know if you're going to end up on a respirator or yeah, some other like crazy third thing. And so I think that is what's so scary to me is like, I don't know what it will look like if I were to catch it or like if my dad were to catch it or if my brother were to catch it. I only saw what it did to like my mom. 
And mm-hmm. even then all these people that I also know had it, like it was so different for, it's been so different for everybody. I think that's yeah. something to really be aware of if we, when you're like doing a, a cost benefit analysis, like, oh, do I want to go out? Like, do I want to go here? Do I want to go there? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, it's just headaches or it's, oh, it's just loss of taste and smell. I mean, I hope so for you. Like, I hope it's not something yeah. terrible, but that's definitely something to be aware of is like, I've seen plenty of different people where it's like, it just affects everyone so differently. Yeah, it's really sad seeing people in our generation because you would think that we're like the most adept and in tune with gaining information. We have the most information at our hands and still like we seem to be the generation that cares the least about this Mm -hmm. and that it's not affecting, I guess, as greatly because it's not as dire of a situation for us. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really sad to be lumped into this category with people our age right now. But I hope that people continue to wear their masks and continue to practice safe measures so that Hopefully this can go away and we can go back to some sort of, you know, I don't think normal is ever going to be a thing again, but I think some sort of normalcy where we can all go to our jobs, stuff like that, and still continue to, you know, live our lives. That would be great. Yeah. I will say, though, like having my mom be like so ill, something positive, well, besides her test results, haha, something positive (laughs) that came out of (laughs) out of that, I was very humbled and kind of like overwhelmed by the amount of people who love my mom and like love my family. You know, like every day I was getting texts and calls and Facebook messages. You know, we had people driving in from like outside of the city limits to bring us food. People were buying us dinner, leaving us like soup and medicine on our front door. You know, we had so much tips, treats delivered to us. You know, people were coming with care packages of like toilet paper, hand sanitizer, masks, fruit. Um, it was definitely very humbling to see like the community my parents have cultivated for themselves. I definitely want to live my life in a way like where I am, you know, like to earn a community like that for myself where like, you know, yeah. it's like all these people are in my corner. And it also definitely taught me a lot about like the kind of person I want to be. Like, how can I be an intentional person? Like, what can I do to show up for others? You know, Mm -hmm. just like people were just like, we're going to bring you dinner. Like, what would you like? We are coming by today or like, I am bringing you medicine. I will leave it on your front door. I think it was really, you know, and, and as not to knock on people who were like, how are you doing? Like, what do you need? I think everybody who reached out totally impacted me in some way. But the intentionality behind being like, I'm going to show up. I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to have to make you figure out like how I'm going to show up for you. Like I'm just going to be there. Um, was definitely like a great example of how I want to like continue to live my life as I move forward. You know, that's great that you can take that positive away from such a hard and negative experience, but that's really powerful and really great. I'm super happy that everyone in your family is okay now and that y'all are able to overcome this as a family and come out seemingly stronger in a lot of different ways. I guess to kind of talk about the last thing before we talk about music, we touched on faith a lot in different parts of this. How would you say that your faith life has been different from college or, you know, what struggles have you faced in this time? So obviously, like in college, there was a university Catholic center, like that was the hub. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that was also one of the things that made faith so not easy. I think faith is something that you always have to kind of grow and grapple with. But the proximity, not only of like the actual building, but of other believers, you know, like, 
I could text anyone and be like, hey, you want to go to the UCC? And since we all live in like the same five mile radius of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I could, yeah. I could, yeah, I, you will meet me at the UCC and it's not this big mm-hmm. deal and it doesn't require all this planning because we're all there. Um, I'm really grateful to have my church community. I've gone to St. Paul's Catholic Church my entire life. And so in that respect, like I have always had a home in San Antonio at the church. But it is different. I do miss my college faith-based friends a lot. I think those friends that you kind of grow in your faith with during college is like a, it's a really formative period. So I mm-hmm. do miss them. Um, obviously, with COVID, like I haven't been going in person. I just haven't really felt comfortable with that. I know like the church isn't a building; it's the people and it's the practices and stuff. But I think that's kind of played a role. So what I've been kind of trying to doing is just like taking a verse and kind of living with it. So like right now, like really like Matthew 6, 26, where they talk about like the birds of the air and how mm-hmm. like they don't like reap or sow, but they are still getting fed. Like, aren't you more important than the birds? Like what will like a moment of worry add to your life? You know, I think I try to live with that a lot. Like how can I, you know, like the Lord is going to provide, like the Lord's going to be there. And the same as like Romans twelve twenty one, like, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, there's a lot of like really tough stuff going on in the world right now. I don't think anyone would disagree when I say that. And so I think like, how can I live in a way that is good? And sometimes just like slowing down to enjoy like moments that are filled with grace. I think we move so quickly sometimes that like, you know, I don't think grace just comes down and like tongues of fire above our heads. I think grace is like, I'm walking my dogs. I'm like, look at how beautiful the sky is. I'm like, look at how at peace I feel in this moment. Or, you know, like look at these conversations I have with my coworkers and these like bonds that I'm forming, you know, how can I live like a life full of grace? But I mean, I definitely miss church though. I, I'm looking forward to the day where it I can kind of go back and feel mm-hmm. comfortable going back for sure. Yeah. Thank you for that that sharing. That's all beautiful. I actually have a lot of those moments when I'm walking the pugs. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, this is a beautiful life. And that's, it's weird to think about it because there's such like insignificant moments in your life. They're not really, you know, formative or super pivotal moments, but those are the moments where I feel like I encounter God the most yeah, actually sure. is in those small, small moments. And it can be even in, yeah, those brief conversations with people that I don't even expect to have conversations with stuff like yeah. that. That's awesome. I think the best way to wrap this one up is for you to shout out Harry Styles and T Swift with their new albums and tell me what those two albums meant for you this year. I know you're a big fan of both and I may not be a fan, but I can appreciate them as artists for sure. Yeah. So I've been a fan of these artists for like forever. I saw Taylor Swift's Red Tour in 2013. I saw One Direction with Zayn like in 2014, like when they came to San Antonio. I remember the moment when I first saw Harry Styles, my friend Melody, it was a Friday. I was in high school. My friend Melody wrote in my planner, look up One Direction. And I've always been someone that's like, I have to do what's in my planner. So I went home and I like looked it up and like that solo and what makes you beautiful. So this is already post X Factor. And that solo and what makes you beautiful where he comes in, he like flips his curls. I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm in love. And so I've been, and so I was kind of like ahead of the curve at my school with One Direction by a couple months. 
I'm just like total fangirl. My Instagram was originally made just so I could follow like One Direction fan accounts, like super embarrassing. So I've definitely followed all of the boys like solo careers. I think they all have put out really good music. But I mean, Harry Styles was always my favorite in One Direction, followed very closely by Niall. I just want to say um, <laughs> I was supposed to see Harry Styles this year. Obviously, that got canceled due to COVID, which was definitely disappointing. But in some ways, I think it's going to be okay because I have a whole year to get like a really good fit put together for this concert. Like the important I really, stuff, nice. Yeah, like I really want to like really show out, like dress to the nines. Like, do I need corduroy flare pants? Perhaps, you know. So I love Harry Styles. I think he's so much fun. I think he just puts out really great music. It's always such a fun time to like rock out with Harry Styles. Love him. Uh, like, my love for Taylor Swift is just, like, on a different level. Like, for her, like, I have to have her CDs. Like, I have to own them. Like, I have them all in my car, like, in, like, a little disc-bound thing. And I will switch it out, and I will play them. Even though I could very easily go onto Spotify and shuffle through the Taylor Swift Complete Collection, which I do very often. She was my most listened to Spotify artist of the decade. <laughs> I just think that for her... First of all, she never misses. Like, she always hits just right. But I think that she has just always had music that has resonated with me, like, at very different times in my life, you know? And I think people who are like, oh, I don't like Taylor Swift, I think you need to move past, like, her radio singles and, like, try and listen to an album or two. And you'll be like, oh, wait a second. Like, she's a lyrical genius. Because I think if you were like, oh, well, she's the one who does Shake It Off and whatever... And then you're like, well, let me go listen to like All Too Well. And you're like, oh, well, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Folklore is definitely like in my top three, like out of her eight albums. I think it's so poignant and like, not that I've like really gone through stuff, but I think like it just hit different. Like it was just <laughs> something about it. Like the, the song Seven and just like being like a young kind of fearless girl being at that age, like that was really powerful to me. People who don't like Taylor Swift, like, it just doesn't sit right with my spirit. Like, if you're like, I just don't like her. It's one thing to be like, I haven't listened to a lot of her stuff. But if you're like, I don't like her, like, that just doesn't sit right with me. Like, I find it weird. Like, I even, like, when I when I do have dating apps, because I delete and then re-download and delete. But I'll be like, well, what did you listen to the Taylor Swift new album? And when people, when the guys are like, I don't listen to her. Like, I don't like Taylor Swift. I usually unmatch. I had one guy That's who was deal like... Breaker. Yeah, I had one guy who was like, I didn't listen to it, but I really liked that time at the VMAs where Kanye took the mic from her. And I was like, that, I'm going to report you. Like, that's not okay. She just always has songs that can relate to how I feel and like put it into like feelings that are more beautiful than I think I could. And so for her, I just love her. I think folklore is great. I highly recommend all of you listen to it. First, there's not a skip. There's not a skip. But if you like, I don't have time to listen to all of it. Do seven, listen to Betty, listen to Cardigan, and listen to The Lakes. That's the bonus track. I think The Lakes is really beautiful as well. I'm definitely going to go listen to just those four songs now because I do not have the time. And I won't say I don't like her music, but I haven't heard most of it. And I will give it an honest chance. Just give I it an honest chance. That's all I ask from all of y'all. You know, That's all we can do. That's all you can do. And I think with that, I think that is the perfect way to wrap this up. And again, I thank you so much for being here. Even though we don't talk all the time or aren't always in constant communication, I think you're one of those people that'll probably be a lifelong friend to me. And it has been such a joy having you in my life, being able to learn from you, you know, gain wisdom from you, all these things. It's been great to follow you and to be your friend. So thank you so much for coming on, Mia. Oh, 
Well, thanks for having me. I'm really glad we're friends. I really appreciated the invite. Hopefully I gave you some good stuff to work with. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Growth and Jams podcast. Again, if you liked what you heard, please give me a five-star rating. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Growth and Jams. And again, my name is Saul, and I will see you all next week.